when you've been it all your life and you've done it all your life, how do you stop being a people pleaser and how do you stop people pleasing? Welcome to Business Mindset Mastery, my friends. I'm giggling a little bit as I introduce this show because of how I came up with the topic watching a recent episode of Big Bang Theory. But when you are responsible for putting out content five days a week, you will take that inspiration for content anywhere you can get it. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. I'm your host, Heather Gray. I'm a mindset leadership expert. I work with business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs over at heathergrayconsulting.com. And as you just heard me say, I was watching the Big Bang Theory and suddenly got inspiration for a podcast episode all about people-pleasing because Leonard was in the struggle and the struggle was real. But I think that people-pleasing is a really popular topic in the personal development space for a reason, because no matter how many times we tell women that they have permission, no matter how many times we tell men it's okay to make mistakes, the pressure we put on ourselves to be enough for other people can be relentless. And we always leave the judge and jury over what is enough in the eyes and in the like sort of minds of the receivers that we don't decide for ourselves what is enough. We just keep waiting for other people to decide. And until we get a real handle on this issue, until we sort of break it down to brass tacks so it's specific and manageable and actionable for people, I think this is going to be a common human struggle. Women in particularly are targeted with this message, but I have to tell you that in my time in a small little brick and mortar private therapy office, I certainly saw my fair share of men who struggled with choosing themselves, with speaking up, offering their opinions, because they were told that that's not what a good man did. I think a lot of gender norms play into this people-pleasing conversation, and I think a lot of um, sort of the ways a people are raised to move through the world contributes to this, because we are told to think of other people, to consider the needs of other people. And I don't think there's been enough emphasis on, but not at the sacrifice of yourself. And I think it's easy to tell somebody, stop apologizing for existing, take your space in the room, speak up, lean in, use your voice. But the conversation gets stilted when nobody's really talking about how you do that and what it actually looks like. Because I think it's so much easier to say to somebody like, oh, just stop people pleasing. Tell us what you really want or offer your real opinion. But we don't tell people who have been in a chronic pattern of people pleasing how to actually figure out what their opinion is because they haven't even trained their brains to have one. It's been in their habit to acquiesce. It's been in their habit to kind of allow the like what's comfortable for other people to lead the direction of the conversation or the direction of a project that they don't actually stop to think what they would like for themselves or what they think for themselves. It's not a simple issue of just saying, you know, stop apologizing for the space you take up in the room or, you know, make sure you tell people what you want for takeout, etc., etc. It's a conversation that has to happen with ourselves. And the first thing that we have to acknowledge for ourselves is that ego is involved. Not only are we raised to be good, thoughtful people, 
but we get validation and a reward and um, um, sort of acknowledgement and recognition when we are kind, when we're easy to work with, when we're flexible, when we go with the flow. We get so much praise, recognition, and acceptance from that that sometimes it can be really hard to give up, especially if it's one of those things that people say they always like about us. Oh, I so appreciate you. You're always so easy to work with. Thank you so much for being willing to change that time. I'm so sorry I came late. Thank you for, you know, waiting an extra day for me to get back to you. That that experience of being, um, you know, sort of seen and appreciated, it can be addicting. It can, it can rule our decision making. It can determine where we go next at the expense of where we actually want to go. But the other piece to people pleasing is it is the number way, one way people avoid conflict. That so many people that I've worked with over the years are people pleasers, not because of some altruistic, selfish way of moving through the world, but because they are desperately trying to avoid conflict. And if they don't have the hard talk, if they're not disagreeable, if they don't offer their real opinion, if they just go with the flow, then they never have to say the hard thing or have the hard conversation. Because leaning into that means sort of gearing up for tension to say to somebody, you have this need, you have this desire, you have this plan, and I have to tell you that I disagree. Or when you told me this and you chose this path, I have to tell you it's not what I would have done. It's so much easier to say, no, that's a really great job. You did good effort. Holding accountability, telling people the hard things, having the hard talks, it is not easy. That's why you heard me talk about it last week on the show in my podcast episode, I Can Do Hard Things, or I think I called that one How to Do Hard Things. But either way, it's just a few episodes back and you go and you can easily go and find it because those things, those conversations, those decisions, those moments are incredibly hard. If you want to stop being a people pleaser, if you are looking at your life and recognizing that you are not where you want to be and you're not heading in the direction that you want to go, then you have to recognize that you are never going to get to where you want to go without ruffling a couple of feathers. And you are going to have to decide if you decide not to ruffle feathers, that you are owning and choosing a life that's less than what you want and what you desire. Because you taking up room in a conversation, in a physical room, and in a business is going to force someone else to bend and move around you. That's the way the world works. And so often people get in this habit of people pleasing because they're avoiding the hard conversations. They're avoiding the conflict. So part of this, if you really are recognizing that you're not paying attention to your needs, you are not putting yourselves on the, on the list, then yes, you have to A, check your ego at the door, but then B, you have to prepare for the hard conversations. You have to recognize that 
As much as you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, as much as you don't want to disappoint someone or create tension or conflict, sometimes that's absolutely necessary. And we get stuck in that path because we don't always know how. We don't know how to move through the world or navigate that hard conversation. And that's what I think could really benefit you guys today because I'm not going to, there's best selling books written on this topic. I am not going to cover this in an entire podcast episode, but I can give you a bit of a framework to move through the world around it to kind of make sense of it for yourselves to poke at it a little bit and then this is something you could totally explore on how to work with me one-on-one I have these conversations with business owners all the time and I would gladly have it with you if you're looking um, for some one-on-one support as you manage this but having these hard conversations and recognizing you know sort of conflict reduction so much of this is owning that whether or not a conflict emerges because of something you said did, didn't say, or didn't do is entirely outside of your control. Someone can have a huge reaction to what you're doing. Someone can be wildly angry, deeply discouraged, really upset, and you are not going to be able to control that. It will be the reality you're choosing to live with because you would rather that reality than the reality of not having the life you want. But then the next step to that, once you accept that conflict is in fact inevitable, you have to then check your kind of barometer for conflict at the door because I think so often people who avoid conflict assume every single hard conversation is going to be the equivalent of the worst, hardest conversation ever. And sometimes it's just an awkward moment. Sometimes it's just a beat. You know, um, Stacy Speaker is a colleague of mine who um, works with um, women leaders in the corporate space. And, you know, she says, how long are you, how much time are you spending on av- avoiding a hard conversation that's only going to last for 10 minutes? Because I think that's often what a lot of us do. And it's a lot of the times it's because we don't know how to have that hard conversation. And what I want you to do is think about the moments when you've disagreed. Think about the moments when you've had to hold accountability when you've had to tell someone you're dissatisfied, when a need hasn't gotten met? And how can you simply tell the listener what you want them to think? Because we spend so much time when we're avoiding conflict and we're in that mindset to go, I don't want this person to think this. I don't want this person to react to that. I don't want to get that response. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear that. And we don't spend any time saying, well, what do you want the person to hear? What do you want the person to understand? And what do you want them to know, believe, and think. And then you tell them that. So you get really clear on why you disagree, what you're disagreeing with, and the solution you think you could offer, or the thought you had, or the feeling you had, that you tell somebody, instead of worrying about what they think, instead of wondering what they're going to walk away with, you tell that person what you want them to think. So you lead it with, hey, this is kind of a hard conversation. I feel a little awkward bringing it up. But I feel like if we don't talk about it now, it's a conversation we're just going to have inevitably down the, ro- uh, down the road. So I'd rather just nip it in the bud now. Do you have five minutes? And you tell the person, if you're worried about them being angry, if you're worried about them being upset, you can say, hey, listen, I'm going to say something and I hope it doesn't piss you off too much. I hope you don't get too upset, but I really do have to share that this is what I'm thinking. Or I don't want you to think that I'm not um, being careful. I don't want you to think that 
that I don't care. I don't want you to think that your needs don't matter to me. Whatever you are worried about what the takeaway of your audience is going to be, you can tell them. You still, by the way, have no control in how they hear that message. They still can come at you roaring for a fight, but you're at least paving the way with your good intentions. You're at least laying the the framework and the groundwork to say, hey, listen, we have to have a little conversation. It's going to be awkward. It's not going to be the end of the world, but I'm hoping you'll have it with me. And being open to what happens next so that if you're met with high reactivity, if you are met with somebody who's going to create conflict or, you know, in a lot of cases, passive aggressive behavior, you then can get clear with yourself about how you want to respond and what you want to say and what you want to do in response to that. I think so often that, you know, not only are we avoiding conflict, but we say, okay, so what if I say this hard thing? What if I state my preference? What if I do this and the person just tells me I'm selfish or the person gets totally bullshit or the person X, Y, Z, you know, what I want you to do if you're really going to commit to choosing yourself, to choosing to lean into your preferences and your tolerances a little bit more, I would really love it if you planned for that. Well, what would you do? And obviously, we can't plan for every reaction. We have no idea how some people are going to hear some hard talks, but we can get a general idea based on just what we're imagining for ourselves and what we're putting out there for ourselves. So I want you to think about what potentially you could be met with and impact Empower yourself with a plan and you're not always going to be able to do it for every single word you utter, every single thing that's on your mind, but you can arm yourself with an awareness that it is a hard conversation and you will get it. But the other piece to this is to recognize the number of times saying something that's stupid hard for you is really easy for people to hear. So you want to give your audience the benefit of the doubt. You want to make sure that you're, you know, you're not using your measurement and your lens to review the entire situation because their lens and their view may be wildly different. You want to get like situated and own that for yourselves. You know, the other piece to this, I think sometimes is, you know, what's the point to not being a people pleaser? Like what's so bad about being a people pleaser? And for some people, honestly, you know, I think of my Aunt Mary and she was probably the biggest people pleaser I've ever encountered on the planet. She was always in the kitchen cooking. Um, and I just did an episode the other day about the arthritis that's developing in my hands. And well, it's in the family. Um, and her hands were riddled with arthritis, but still she was, you know, cooking and cleaning and taking care of the family. And she refused help for the, the most part, but her face always had an expression of joy on it. She always looked like she was exactly where she wanted to be, doing what she wanted, loving on her people, and I never really understood it. I never understood how cooking in a hot kitchen on an 80-degree day and making a big old pot of, marinara, pot of marinara really lit someone up that much, but I had nothing to do but just believe it came from genuine joy. When people pleasing comes from a place of genuine joy and you get ego from it, 
I'm kind of good with that. I am somebody who moves through the world, and I've shared this on the show, where I make it kind of my day's mission that any service provider I encounter, a barista at Starbucks, the bank teller, the person in the checkout at the grocery store, gets my absolute best, that I make eye contact, that I'm warm and I'm friendly and I'm helpful. And I do that because I love being the person that makes those people's days. Like they're gonna have to deal with so many BS customers at some point in time. I like being the exception to the rule and I like the way being the exception to the rule makes me feel. When it's just that, beginning, middle, and end, keep on with your people-pleasing self. You're not going to hear an argument from me. But where I think it requires evaluation and consideration is when people-pleasing starts to affect you negatively. And I can think of times in my own business when I was starting my brick-and-mortar private practice, um, I had started working evenings only, so I had a 5.30 slot, a 6.30 slot, and a 7.30 slot. But then when I moved to full-time, I didn't need to work that long because I had more hours of availability. I could work during the day. And I remember, like, I laugh at myself now because I took it so incredibly seriously. But I remember the agony I put myself through taking away my 7.30 slot because I knew it was a valuable offering for my clients. I knew that they had come to depend on being able to come to me afterwards without having to sort of battle rush hour. And I knew losing that time slot was going to be an inconvenience and a little bit of a challenge. But here's the thing. I spent like maybe two months until I finally pulled the trigger and said like, I'm really sorry, but I no longer have this 7.30 slot because I'm coming in earlier in the day. And nobody gave me a hard time. Everybody was like, oh my God, Heather, I can't believe you kept it this long. Like, of course, yeah, we need to reschedule. We need to find a different time. But I put put so much emphasis on my client's happiness and satisfaction on how it would be perceived for them that at the initial time of that decision making, I was coming at work for an 8 a.m. client because I had wanted to start my day earlier and I was staying until 7.30. So that meant 8.30 at night. Like I was choosing as my home business like to work 12 hour days, which is absurd because if I wanted that lifestyle, I could have just stayed working in residential. When it starts to hurt is the moment you want to pay attention. When the decision you're making benefits somebody and you are feeling the pinch, that's when it's time to do an examination process of what about this is bugging me, how much of this needs to change, and am I willing to have the hard conversation to see if it might be different? Because if you feel the pinch and you decide not to have that conversation, you are no longer a victim, I friend. You are in total control of your destiny and you are choosing the misery that comes with not choosing yourself over the misery that comes with having a hard conversation. It still becomes your life and it still becomes your destiny because you are getting conscious with that. But I want you to look at and examine the number of things you compromise yourself away on. Look at the cost benefit analysis. How is, how is that affecting you? What are you giving up and what are you sacrificing in all of those bending and leaning to somebody else's preferences? And are you willing to still pay that price? That is the gut check that you really need to focus on because people pleasers are largely anxious. And 
Unfortunately, contrary to popular belief, people pleasing does not reduce anxiety. We just keep coming up with new things to be people pleasers about. So one of the things that happens is you tell yourself a story. Well, if I just keep the house clean, if I just keep this, the kids will A, B, and C, or my husband will X, Y, Z. And then you do that and you take care of that. And then you go, oh, well, they really feel convenient. You know, they really have something really tailored to them. If I only D, E, and F, and G, GHI, you you get where I'm going with this because that's how anxiety works. That as soon as we start to enable one anxiety, as soon as we give permission for one anxious thought to reside and to root and to be given oxygen and to grow and to flare up, we're then enabling all the other anxieties to filter into our existence and into our daily life because that's what happens with people pleasing. We never decide that enough is actually enough. So what I like you to do is to look at the cost of the things you were saying yes to. And I would like you to take a moment to see if you're willing to keep paying it. Because once you own that choice, you're back in control of the conversation with yourself. You are doing the cost-benefit analysis. You are saying, you know what? This doesn't really work for my time schedule. This is slowing me up. This is inconveniencing me. This is making me feel a certain way. I'm having a reaction to this. And then you're deciding for yourself whether or not you're still willing to pay that cost. You get to be in control of that because there are absolutely going to be times when you choose the people-pleasing path, because not choosing the people-pleasing path is going to, you know, lead to just way more conflict and to make things more easier. And so a lot of times it's, you know, you're, you're, in control of the situation because you're trying to control anxiety. So what I want you to do is do that cost-benefit analysis, recognize that, and then I think you quickly need to ask yourself, what am I willing to do for what I want and what am I no longer willing to do? So one of the examples um, that comes to mind for me is my husband. And I love that he doesn't listen to this show because I get to use him as an example without taking heat for it. But one of the things that I have noticed over time is that he has an increased amount of anxiety when we are going to new places. So um, when we're sort of on an adventure and we don't know where the handicap accessible parking is going to be, if we're going to check out a new park and we don't know where the handicap accessible park is going to be, that he starts to buzz a little bit and he becomes, you know, sort of unsure. And it's basically the thought in his mind at that time is, is this a place that's going to be welcoming to me? And that his anxiety is largely based out of that fear of being rejected. And not that a state park can actually physically reject you, but you do experience feelings of rejecting when you of rejection when you see that a place isn't open or welcome to you. So one of the things that I have noticed in myself to curb that reaction, to curb that tension, because for me, it's about like, oh my gosh, if he gets anxious, we're not going to have a good time. Oh my gosh, if he's worrying about this, you know, it's, it's going to put him in a bad mood. He's not going to want to go 
ego and all of this. So I am avoiding that conflict, right? Like I'm walking you through this. I am avoiding that tension. So what I'm doing as a result, my that's my inner thought process and what it reflects like and what it looks like in my behavior is I'm managing. So I'm going five steps ahead. I'm figuring out where the state park is that we might go to. I'm going to the website. I'm seeing about the handicap accessible options and I'm making sure that when we get there, I know exactly where the parking is. I know exactly where the handicap accessible paths are and I know exactly where the handicap accessible bathroom is or I know there's not one and that we need to plan accordingly. You can see all of the work I'm doing. And initially, it looks like I'm such a good, supportive, loving wife, that I'm aware of my husband's needs, that I'm taking care of him. All of those things are good. And all of those things are true. And yes, all of them fill my ego. But I can also tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the reason why I overmanage isn't because I want to be the best wife on the planet. It's because I want to be able to have a good time without living with his bad mood. That I'm avoiding the tension of having to say, like, listen, you need to be more flexible. Hey, like, I haven't been here either. We've only moved in this state a year ago. I don't know where everything is to go. That I don't want to have the hard talk around his anxiety anxiety and how it's affecting me and how it's affecting my good time and how it's affecting my good day. So it's so much easier to just take care of every possible thing that might make him anxious. And then I can then have a good day, right? That isn't a story about his anxiety. That isn't a story about anything other than my people-pleasing tendency that's coming from a place of conflict avoidance. I, every single time I do this, and I, even though I'm aware of it, and even though I backed it off, and even though I have, yes, in fact, had that hard conversation with my husband, I can tell you I just did it two weeks ago. So it's not necessarily a habit that's entirely broken and you know, in my past, as they might say, I'm still rumbling with it. I'm still wrestling with it. But every single time I catch myself going the extra mile or the extra mile and a half, I have to ask myself, is this worth it? Is this like worth it to you to spend your time this way? Because when you become the mom in the relationship, you end up feeling pissed off, resentful, et cetera, et cetera. And often that question asking myself, like you were doing this behavior because you were trying to avoid conflict. You were doing this behavior because you want to be a people pleaser and you want to feel like the best wife on the planet and you want everybody to see you as the best wife on the planet. Is this worth it? And are you willing to pay the cost? That is really what people pleasers need to think about is that it is you paying the toll every single time. And are you so positive that that hard conversation, that making people grumpy, the being difficult thing is really going to be harder than constantly having to be the person who pays the toll? That question always gets me refocused. Even when sometimes I continue to go right on with my people-pleasing self, it gets me a moment of pause. It gives me an opportunity to think about what I want, what's best for me, to do a gut check if I'm still willing to pay the toll, and then if I'm not, to decide what I'm willing to do next. Because what ends up happening is people-pleasers are never focusing on themselves. They're always focusing on other people, and it is such a dangerous place to be everybody wants to tell you it's because you get to live your life and you get to have your happy ending and it get in all of that all of that is true but it is nothing compared to the cost of giving other people control over whether or not 
you are enough. That is why people-pleasing is so incredibly dangerous because every single time I plan every detail of that trip, I go to the websites, I ask the questions, I call ahead, I do this, that, and the other thing, and I deliver it in front of my husband, I am giving him an opportunity to say, well, do you know where we're going to eat? Um, you know, is there a place where we're going to fill a water bottle? Because again, anxious people are going to do that, right? Anxious people are going to just find one more thing to be anxious about. It's giving him all of the power and all over of the control over whether or not I was thoughtful enough. That is so dangerous when done on repeat. And when you are constantly motivated externally based on other people's opinions of you, you don't get to just weed in the good opinions. You don't get to just take in the praise and swallow in all of the good love that you get and the likes and the shares and the thank yous and the hugs and the thank you notes. You also then, when you're giving your, you know, sort of your community, your people, all of that permission to have an opinion about you, you're giving them control over their negative opinions and letting that impact your story about yourself. You're putting all of your validation outside of yourself and you are not allowing yourself to decide for yourself what is enough. So yeah, you might not have your dream life and yes, you might not have your dream business and that is not going to be good and I would be very sad for you if that is true. I would be sadder for you though if you continue on this path of giving other people a right to tell you who you are and have their opinion be of you be your opinion of yourself. That is dangerous, my friends. That is what leads to anxiety. That is what leads to depression. That is that is what leads to so many emotional mental health struggles in our world and broken relationships. So many threads to dysfunction start with broken stories we have about ourselves. That is the biggest risk. And you have to tell yourself, am I willing to pay the price? If this is the, you know, what I'm seeing at the toll, do I really want to be the person who pays it each and every time? I'm not so sure that you do. I certainly hope that you don't. I would really very much like you to recognize that you are enough and you are worthy, but you can't get that from me. You have to decide it for yourself. And the only way you do that is if you give yourself a seat at the table, you put yourself on the list, and you have those hard conversations, you say those hard things, and you make those hard choices. I know you can do it. I know it's not as easy as just choose you, just start speaking up. But hopefully I've given you a little bit of a path here. And if you recognize yourself in this episode, if you see yourself here, I'd like you to write into the show and tell me about it. Tell me your story. Tell me where you're struggling and we will dig deeper into this on the show. You can always find me about this or anything else that's weighing on your mind, heart, or business over at heather at heathergrayconsulting.com. Thank you so much for today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.